0: This is Keeping Current with Wayne Potter. Welcome to Keeping Current, the weekly current affairs program with your host, Wayne Potter. Welcome to the Keeping Current show. This is Wayne Potter, your host. This is the place where we talk about the ideas, issues, and trends that shape our everyday life.
1: Truly amazing how much clothing and footwear is produced each year. A 2018 report by the EPA shows that some 12,970,000 tons were produced. Only 13% of these materials are recycled, leaving another 77% of material that is either landfilled or combusted to produce energy. The cost of producing these products amounts to $339.4 billion, So some $237 billion is thrown away just alone in 2018. What a terrible waste. And to top it off, this production creates about 8% of all greenhouse gases. What can we do about it? One of the answers is circular fashion, which means extending the life cycle of well-made fashion garments and recycling the materials into new ones. This process is designed to compete with fast fashion. Fast fashion is proven to use large quantities of non-renewable resources. Authors like Elizabeth L. Klein are promoting a new look at fashion. She does so in her book, The Conscious Closet, The Revolutionary Guide to Looking Good While Doing Good. In addition, a local entrepreneur like Julie Derrick is operating a shoe repair business, JD Shoe Repair in Portland, Oregon. It makes old shoes look like new and create wonderful pieces of footwear, purses, bags, wallets, and more. You just have to see the shop's website to realize the extent of her creative cobblers. I recently talked with her about her business operation. Let's listen to her describe what she does.
0: Welcome to the Keeping Karen show, Uh, Julie. It's just a pleasure to have you here today to learn more about uh, JD's shoe repair and as I see it online, it looks like it's also called the cobbler Uh, and it's great. uh, It really appears as I looked at the website today that it's really got an exceptional team of master cobblers, uh, but it didn't have a whole lot of information about Julie And so I thought I'd ask you a little bit of a question. So perhaps you could describe a little bit of your own background and your role in creating this uh, wonderful uh, company that you're uh, in. Um, Okay. Well, I've been
2: doing shoe repair for 16 years this summer and I, um, as soon as I started doing it, I knew that it was the thing for me. I had a pretty strong hunch about that before I ever got into it. But um, the first two shops where I worked had um, put me on layoff for just reasons. Like they, they didn't um, keep their staffs. So they both at some point thought they were not making enough money and decided to lay everybody off. So I. But at the same time, I saw both of those shops turn away a lot of work that looked to me like viable work. So after the second layoff, I mean, I'm a single parent. And at the time, my son was, he was two when I started doing shoe repair. Um, So I needed to have at least a reliable source of income for us um so after the second layoff I thought I would just go into business for myself and then if I didn't make it it would be on me you know and then I could move if it wasn't the trade for me I would I would know that and um do something else but it was and it and it worked you know we don't it's been it's a modest living but it's been consistent and how long um, has it
0: been since you actually Formed the company and put it together and you actually uh, had the space.
2: <laughs> the shop is 12 years old. I started in the summer, that summer, 12 years ago. Um, I, cause I knew how to do, I would have liked to work in a shop longer, to be honest, um, and continue to build my skills, but that just wasn't my, wasn't available to me, I guess I'll say. So I just, it's like, well, I'm just going to do this. And, uh, but I did not really know how to run a business. Like I had some experience working in the nonprofit sector as far as grant writing and, you know, putting together budgets and, uh, writing up progress reports and those sorts of things. But, um, I needed some support learning how to do the Nelson Bolts of running a business. So I um, approached a a nonprofit in town called MISO, it's Micro Enterprise Services of Oregon. And they do mentorship and um, education and support for small business. It's minority and low income entrepreneurs, which as a female, I am considered to be a minority business owner um so they really gave me the basis you know and the support and the community of other business owners to to learn a lot of that with so that was a kind of the starting up thing
0: so so you have um, you one of the important things on your website is that you have master cobblers employed for you could you describe for me what what does it mean to be a master cobbler and how does one become one? <laughs>
2: um, I mean, it's an old trade, obviously, because the fact of humans walking around in shoes goes back a long way. So there will always have been people to work on them. But in the modern sense, um, as far as I understand it, in Portland, there hasn't been an official apprenticeship program since like the 70s. It used to be a union trade. It was part of the like affiliated group of small retail trades that was under the umbrella of United Food and Commercial Workers. Mm -hmm. And, And then it just, i don't know what happened exactly it's hard to get all the information together from the old timers (laughs) anymore but um so there used to be a formal process there's not anymore i think master cobbler i think when i say that i just mean that you know what you're doing and you can solve (laughs) the problems that come your way and you know how to work with the materials like you're good at what you do, you know, and, and that would definitely require some fair number of years working at it to achieve, you know, that sort of uh, competency, mm-hmm. but there's not uh so it's not like there's a checklist or a certificate or, you know, or credits you can get.
0: Um, there's a, of, a lot of experience with a range of, of types of product that you know that you can deal with in some yeah. way
2: yeah that's what i consider like you know mastery of the trade i'm not even that comfortable with the term master honestly i might want to look at reframing that language in the mm, in the okay. website it seems to imply something like of a power dynamic or a, or a level that I don't okay.
0: <laughs> really do.
2: But what I mean to say by that is just, you know, that we have skilled professionals like who are really devoted to the trade and have been doing it for a long time.
0: So there's a, there's a lot of shoe repair shops around. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know what kind of a sort of a view of, that you have of shoe repair shops in general. Mm-hmm. Do they all have people that are, would sort of be classified as long-experienced shoe repair personnel? Or maybe that's I mean, the only way you can get there.
2: <laughs> most shoe repair shops are owned by, they're worked by the owners. This They're just, we're so small. Like even us to have, for us to have three or four employees is a little bit unusual here anyway, as far as the shops I know in Portland. Mm-hmm. um. Usually it's just one or two people, a lot of like your classic mom and pop.
0: Yeah. Ma,
2: Ma does the selling and the riff work, as they call it, and Pa does the heavy grinding, but um, that's traditional, you know what I mean? I've seen right. a lot of shops I, like that's, that. My
0: experience has been with a one shop, one person, mm-hmm.
2: you, know? Yeah. And you
0: know, John or Sue or whoever it is. Exactly,
2: <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, there's there's a group of, um, it's like one connected family and there's, um, like two or three of old, the older members of the family own shops in the area. And then there's two younger folks who I think are nephews within the family and they have their own shops. So the, so collectively this group has like five shops in the area and they, um, there's the strength in that is that when somebody gets overwhelmed, then the others can go help them, yeah. you know? So, and then they can go in and buy larger quantities of supplies together, oh,
0: which you do get, together.
2: yeah, you get better pricing if you buy more. And yeah. um, I think it's really smart. Um, but there, so there's varying levels, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Most of the people I've worked for, I mean, I was trained mostly at cobbler bills. And at that point, whatever it was, 14 years ago, he had been in the trade for 35 years, wow, but he yeah. just retired in 2020. Um, so there's, there's people like that, although it's one of those trades, Wayne, that is, um, it sort of falters when the older generation retires, because mm-hmm. there are not a lot of younger people who are taking it up. So
0: well, as I looked as I looked at your website, I mean, there's really an artistry to it. It's almost like, mm-hmm. gee, if somebody really liked art, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and liked to work with their hands, it would seem to be a, like mm-hmm. a really, uh, a really, a really sort of exciting place to be. I, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe there's I don't know. There isn't enough excitement about it, maybe. <laughs>
2: Well, I think, I don't know, um, you just have to really like it. I think you've got to really have a feeling for it to to put in all the hours
0: that it takes to get familiarity with. Well, well give me some examples. You've got, uh, I think there are three or four people that work with you?
2: There's three right now.
0: Okay, give a little bit of information about some of those people. They all seem to have a certain outlook, a certain experience. Mm.
2: Well, um, like you had said, when you um, initially contacted me, you had found out about the shop related to the DEQ. Right. And um, I did, you know, write a grant request and was awarded that grant So right. in 2017. And I used that grant to um, hire. Part of those funds went to hiring and training A new person into the trade i mean that was the whole that was the whole point of that grant Uh, because i i am disturbed uh, by the number of people retiring without people to take over because they're you know it's not a vastly expanding trade at this point but it could be i think we could be doing more it doesn't i think repair is going to continue to be more and more um
0: so maybe these types needed. of grants like that will should facilitate that growth. Right. Yeah. So
2: I hired Aaron um, in the spring of 2018, and he's been here for three years now. And he is starting to get to that level of competency. Like he's starting, he he's really good at problem solving. He's good with the materials. He's great with the customers. Um, he can do all of the... Um, full soles on the work boots all of the and he's good with the machines like our machines are really old in shoe repair so um he's just naturally kind of a tinkerer when it comes kind of, he's really got a good feeling for machinery he works on all of his own stuff at home whatnot so um that's been an added like, bonus that I didn't know was going to come with him was that he's he's figuring out how to do the maintenance and some minor repairs on these giant um, outsole stitchers, and, you know, and stuff like that that we use that there really are not like the last person in my life who could work on those machines um, was in his 90s and passed away a few years ago. And there's really? just, you know, it, it's just an old it's an old craft it's an old technology so, so does
0: that mean that there isn't new machinery being constructed or is it? there just
2: are companies? some but there's no i mean they're i want to say why would why would you buy a new one as long as your old one still works and you can keep right. working right because they're they big the and they're expensive they Even and though maybe, well
0: i guess i would that was I guess, that's another question i was going to ask i mean because maybe have, have shoes changed, do you, I mean, if shoe styled or the way you manufacture them mm-hmm. changes, uh, does that not require some new kind of equipment or?
2: Mostly what we end up um, dealing with in terms of newer types of construction is um, new kinds of adhesives and primers and um, Maybe new, um, like Vibram has developed a couple of new materials that work for like, they're like restaurant rated, for example. But um, the older machinery was just built for those Goodyear welted, you know, shoes that are just, it's a way of making something that's been incredibly consistent when you think about how many things have changed in- Mm. style and fashion and manufacturing so there's a base like your red wing work boots are the same now as they were decades ago
0: yeah
2: you know they're built the same way um so a lot of that stuff we do lots and lots of work boots so that stuff is very repairable it's very consistent or like your cowboy boots you know your harness
0: boots that kind of looked like you would that you have the capacity of of really working with a f- wide variety of brands, uh-huh. whether or not it's a very fancy shoe uh, uh-huh. for women, or uh, uh-huh. even even uh, you know sports shoes. I mean that because right. I would I would think I guess in my mind sports shoes have changed. You know they're more glued together and they've folded uh-huh. everything together it. Right? But they're
2: also more of a high-end sort of fashion um, item this, at this time. So people spend um, several hundred dollars on their, on their um, sneakers. And so it makes them, you know, more repair worthy because the cost of repair is, is not the same as the cost of the new shoe. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Like some
2: things are just not worth it.
0: because they were
2: never meant to last Mm -hmm. but the things that are better made are going to be more lasting
0: as you look at as you look at shoes now whatever style you know we hear about a market that they want big turnover all the time Uh they want they want a product whether it's clothing or shoes or other Uh personal items they want to sell you everything you know every months or whatever it is and As a consequence, they may not put the time and energy and the quality into the things Uh that they're making anymore. Do you find, I mean, is that true? Is that happening to the life of shoes?
2: Uh, Yeah, that happens a lot. There's a lot of things we have to turn away because people have this idea that they want to repair something and keep it going, but they didn't have that idea when they purchased the thing. Mm -hmm. So they don't, or they don't know what to look for, is what I mean to say. Yeah. Um, so we we try to do education I think that could be broadened honestly um Behind maybe there's a because you hear in the world of um textiles and and clothing manufacturing mm-hmm. there is much more of a conversation around um slower fashion um as far as like actually paying for the what it costs to Use more ethically sourced materials, um, and to pay the people who are making your stuff uh, a better, you know, so that we as consumers, like the, so that the the whole focus isn't just that I as the consumer get the cheapest deal possible. Right. It's like that I as a consumer actually have a conscience about what goes into the thing, and how much lifespan you know, it should have. So I mean that people who are in that realm of consideration, that those are my customers.
0: Yeah. So so have you heard of anybody talking about the, the way we look at buying clothes and things of like that sort? Is anybody that sort of promoted that? I mean maybe DEQ has. I'm not sure if any other groups or industries have promoted that.
2: Um I that's a good question. I think that there's Um, like H&M is a major department store that really trades in like sort of affordable fashion. They've started doing like a recycling thing where you can take your wearing out clothes back to them and they'll do something else with it and turn it into something else. I mean... uh, Some
0: companies are thinking about that or actually doing it.
2: Right, I don't know how much I could say. I think that a lot of um, companies give more lip service to the concept than actual bottom line consideration, but that's a personal opinion. Just because I see things just still being like, uh, we see a lot of expensive junk it's just like well yeah i know you you spent a lot of money on this but it doesn't mean that like you can fix it but at the same time we see a lot of things that are you could you would be surprised like i always tell people to not don't give up on something until you've tried seen a cobbler or a tailor about it because so many things can be altered and improved and repaired that even if it's maybe cheaply made, you can still, um, you might, know, get some more life out of it.
0: Right, might improve it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, <laughs> make it better. Yeah. Place. Well, you know, yeah. what? when I watched the the your website, I mean, I, I can't say enough about your website. I mean, I was amazed at the, how much was there, how much information and how mm-hmm. lively it was engaging And I was just absolutely impressed when I looked at the site of your workspace. I mean, it really, to me, it looked like, my God, this is a big factory. (laughs) It was like, my God, look at all these people running around uh, working together and doing all these things and the specialized handiwork. It was just so impressive. I mean, you you know, when you you were saying earlier that there really aren't a lot of places like this, Mm -hmm. you know. I mean it takes obviously it takes money to put mm-hmm. that together and you got, got to be willing to take the chance that it's going to work mm-hmm. but you got to be willing that I mean, you must think that there's got to be enough audience out there enough clientele to want to come to to do that kind of thing mm-hmm. I mean what kind of how do you is it all word of mouth is that how people come to find out about you
2: I mean, I've done some advertising over the years. I did receive a a matching grant last year during the um, first few months of the pandemic. The Oregonian did a matching thing for advertising with small business. So I paid some and they paid a a larger share. So I did some Oregonian advertising through their... Oregon Live, you know, their online presence and some print ads, but um, we do have a, we have a pretty active social media presence through Instagram and Facebook, but yeah, I would say largely it is word of mouth.
0: So and does that, does that mean that most of the people that are your customers primarily come from the, your local area there, or do you have people that come from other places within the Portland area?
2: Um, Well, that's where the word of mouth thing happens, because um, if you're talking to your friend and you have a handbag, you know, oh, my coach bag, the buckle broke or the thing broke, I don't or look how dingy the leather looks. I wonder where I could get this taken care of. And somebody says, oh, I think a shoe repair shop could do that. Oh, do you know any shoe repair shops? Or they'll go (laughs) online or they'll look at it. And we're known for I've cultivated some niche areas of um, expertise like where you are particularly good at doing vintage restoration and work. We do a lot of work on um, handbags, Mm -hmm. a lot of sewing work. We haven't have had, I've had some extremely skilled people come through the sewing department and it's one of my kind of areas of special interests too so that's a that's a strong area for us any kind of like odd custom things I find interesting so I want to do those projects so um, our dye work is you know very good we're all we're known as just a kind of a good all-purpose shop too so I guess if people are looking for those things and you search either online or you ask in your community or you ask in your Facebook groups, you know, things come up. And that and, works. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, I, was, I was certainly
0: <laughs> amazed that one of the pictures that struck me was a, 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 a shoe, a tennis shoe on one side that looked like it was really grungy. It was black and, you know, mixed whatever. And on the other side was the what the renovated side <laughs> it was, uh-huh. and it looked like a brand new shoe. It looked like, my God, look at all the bright colors on this now and all that. It was just like, I mean, that, that in and of itself, I mean, yeah. I had I've had a pair of tennis shoes repaired on the toe and the heel. Right. <laughs> those, are, those are parts that seem to wear out on my shoe and they're they're uh-huh. good 20 years old or something like that, but I never had anybody think about the tops or whatever. They just didn't. Uh-huh. Uh, so not everybody looks at the the full way right yeah so when a shoe comes in do you tend to look at it in a much more perspective way you know have you thought about this or (laughs)
2: yeah we like to do a full exam like sometimes people will bring in something and they'll notice that the heel is run down but the first thing i do is look inside yeah. and we'll say oh no it's the heel and i'll say i know but i'm start with my full examination because if it's all shredded on the inside and your heel lining is blown out and it's not you know not worth fixing like i'm not going to fix one thing if all these other major things are broken too right. unless you want to fix all the things
0: so so do you work on the inside issues as well as the outside mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. I mean,
2: Aaron's downstairs right now taking the the steel toes out of a pair of boots. So you have to take it all apart and go in from the, you know, kind of peel it apart, pull that steel toe out and then put it back together and then recover that toe area and then rebuild the internal layers and then put the midsole and then the sole. So the part you see is like the last thing. To get done mm-hmm. right all the other stuff happens <laughs> before that and it's not visible really <laughs> right. which i find really intriguing personally I'm oh, into my God, that,
0: really. well how did you find out about the deq grants and all that sort of thing where mm-hmm. well, kind of where that comes about um,
2: Part of what I've done in my life is like I had mentioned uh, nonprofit work and I have worked with the labor movement and in community organizations. And so that's just, um, and being with the nonprofit network of MISO, I enjoy that. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't really have, I never have had that much of a money for advertising. Mm -hmm. So I've always felt like if I can get my, business's name out there and you know we're doing stuff and we're active then it helps the business and the trade in general and it helps me stay engaged in my community right um so at some point I guess it must have been 2016 or 2017 um I not remember who it was it might have been Alicia Polacock somebody I think who works for the city of Portland there's a you know there's a sustainability division within the city yeah. i think it was somebody from that office who had contacted me and let me know that the deq was rolling out this plan for you know it's like a whatever it's the 50-year plan the big plan
0: yeah the big plan
2: yeah yeah for oregon to be you know just a better place as far as reduction of waste and pollution and, you know, reuse and all that stuff. So they were just starting that and they were having community meetings and I went to a, I went to a big meeting about it and it was so interesting and they, there were people from all different sectors, you know, um, there and we talked about stuff and then they did follow up conversations And um, we were able to help shape the rollout of this plan. It was so, I just found it really interesting. Um, And so something about job training, I guess was a consistent theme. And so they built this grant program to do job training in fields that were related to reuse and repair. So I applied for a grant. Mm
0: -hmm. So so was the process really highly detailed does it require a lot of work to make the application for that
2: yeah yeah i had to develop a training plan i never had a training plan right (laughs) you know i had never made a cobbler from start to finish Hmm. um So I had to put that all together and think it all the way through, and then track it, you know, and show what the person was learning. And yeah, no, it's very detailed. They're very they're wonderful to work with. There's there's technical support as needed, and um, you know, lots of good webinars and instruction on how to put the grant together. And they're really good about telling you what they're looking for. But it is. Yes, it's, it's very detailed. What, yeah. what
0: was the, the t- time frame that, that that came about? Like, was oh, it six months, a year, three months? Something
2: like that, a year probably. Okay. And then I was awarded the grant in 2017 and then we moved the shop. Um, I was able to get into an owner contract where I'm buying this building where the shop is housed now. So we moved just a couple months after I found out I had received the grant. So they, they've been really generous about the, um, timing, uh, you know, the use of the funds. So rather than using it, like I found out I had won it in August, but I didn't start using the funds until March or something or April after we had made the move and gotten settled in the new spot. And, um, that I found my new person. So yeah, it's been a good learning experience. I've picked up, I've picked up some new skills and abilities and um, really have appreciated working with the DEQ on that.
0: So when I, when I think of the word cobbler or shoe repair person, I don't necessarily think of them as an environmentalist. Mm-hmm. What's your view? <laughs> are, are cobblers, shoe repair people, are they environmentalists in a very unique way?
2: I, I mean, I am. I I feel troubled that our a lot, so much of our materials are uh, petroleum based, and there's a lot of waste, and I don't like that. I know some people have experimented with trying to make materials out of the waste products, and I don't know that anybody's had very great success. Um, uh, yeah i mean we're dedicated to trying to keep things out of the landfill for a little bit longer that's an in, that's an environmentally conscious viewpoint in my in my experience cuz um from what i've read geez it's something like 30 million pairs of shoes end up, it's an astronomical figure, how many pairs of shoes end up in landfills, and they, because of the rubber and the plastic and everything involved, they take hundreds of years to break down, and it just breaks my heart, you know, it's like everything that all of us can do, I want, I actually want to do more, I don't feel like I'm an environmentalist enough, yeah, In terms of trying to protect what we have.
0: So, so, what would be your advice to um, uh, individual proprietors of various businesses that could, could sort of focus in on this? What, what advice would you give to them as we sort of look forward to a, a sort of a, a rebuilding, a remaking of the way we look at making things and keeping things? You uh-huh. know, if they were rethinking the way they wanted to operate their businesses uh-huh. and get into this same some kind of mode
2: yeah that's a great question I mean I just think my first thought is just that we should all be trying to keep things as local as possible as regional as possible because you can't see the environmental impact of the creation of rubber shoe soles if it happens on another continent and you might be encouraged to um, be more wasteful and more consumptive if you don't know what the actual cost of those processes are like i think the more we can see and know like portland is home to several it's a very shoey town. There's shoemakers here. There's Danner boot, there's Wesco boot, there's Nike and there's Adidas. There's others. There's Keen. a lot of foot, you know, there's a lot of footwear. but those most of those Wesco is is manufactured right here out in Scapul. You can go to their factory and see. The people making the stuff you can see the dumpster where their waste ends up you know what i mean like it's on a scale that right. you, that's visible and you can see it yeah you're going to spend 300 to 500 on a pair of boots but you're going to also know where the materials come from and that the people making them are actually being paid wages that let them live in the community and then they send their kids to the schools and they buy their food at the grocery store that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like those are the, those are the values. I, it sounds like, a, um, I guess I reveal myself as like the small town kid I am in a way, because that just is a way that makes sense to me, but because it's, um, It's just easier to be, to feel innocent of exploitative practices when you can't see them. And if you see what's happening, I don't know, why did Danner start doing so much of their manufacturing outside the U.S.? Different environmental regulations, maybe lower costs, you know, but they still have this stamp of approval as if they were all made in the USA and they're not. And they're, the quality of their products has diminished rapidly. They're no fun to work on anymore. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so we see things from this other perspective, the downstream perspective a little bit, right?
0: Right.
2: (laughs) So I guess that's, that's just the way I think about things. And it's like, well, what are we contributing to the greater greater good whatever we're doing. I guess those are the questions I think that um, we should be asking.
0: Well it's it's really been great to talk to you. Uh, I, I was really quite pleased when I found your company's name on the list and I started contacting companies. Not all of them has responded as well as you have um, and I'm still hoping at some point maybe to have contact with more of these companies, but, uh-huh. you know, it'd be very nice. To, I mean, I I think it would be great to be able to have people where I live in my community learn more about the whys and where force of, of a company like yours uh-huh. working in the, and its outlook and how it affects the way we purchase, the way we contribute, the way we have things repaired and so on. I mean, we need we need an education. And I think it starts with learning more about what Good people like yourself are doing it. So I I want to say thank you. Well, thanks for contacting
2: me. And if you have more questions or anybody that, you know, you're connected with has questions, you can always reach me.
0: We will. I will make every effort to do that. Okay. Thank you so much. This has been another edition of Keeping Current with
1: Wayne Potter.